0: It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Tuesday, December 27, 2022. I'm Brooke Schaefer with Raven News. The recent death of a former Sitka police officer has been ruled a suicide. The Alaska Bureau of Investigation on Friday released the results of a preliminary investigation, which concluded that 43-year-old Ryan Silva died by suicide. KCAW's Robert Woolsey reports.
1: Sitka police and Alaska wildlife troopers responded to the report of an unexpected death at Silva's Monastery Street home on December 18th. At the request of the Sitka Police Department, both the Alaska Bureau of Investigation and the Alaska Crime Lab investigated the death, processed the scene, and determined that Silva took his own life. His body has been sent to the state medical examiner's office in Anchorage. In 2019, Silva won a $325,000 settlement with the city of Sitka over allegations that he was harassed and discriminated against in retaliation for blowing the whistle on the police department's acquisition of automatic weapons in violation of department procedures. His fellow officer and girlfriend, Mary Ferguson, later filed a sexual discrimination lawsuit of her own against the department and Silva allegedly suffered recriminations for his support of her. Ferguson subsequently settled out of court for $500,000. Both Ferguson and Silva were represented by the Northern Justice Project. Silva joined the Sitka Police Department in 2008 following a career in the Coast Guard. He was promoted to detective in 2011 and was one of the department's firearms instructors In his whistleblower suit, he said that he believed automatic weapons to be extremely dangerous in untrained hands. He argued that the police chief at the time, Jeff Ankerfeld, ignored his concerns, as did then City Administrator Keith Brady. Silva alleged that he was demoted to patrol officer in retaliation. The settlements for both Silva and Ferguson were paid by the city of Sitka's insurance carrier. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey.
0: If you or anyone you know is having thoughts of suicide, a mental health professional can help. Call or text 988 anytime to speak to someone at the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. The Sitka Assembly will revisit new rules it recently passed concerning summer vendors and outfitters when it meets in regular session tonight. Two weeks ago, the Assembly voted to change the process for obtaining commercial permits at Harrigan Centennial Hall and required businesses to bid for highly coveted spots outside the building instead of paying a flat fee. Tonight, the Assembly will consider four possible amendments to the newly established code that could extend the permit period from one year to three years and and change the rules for the bidding process. The new code also requires taxi and tour companies to purchase permits for vehicles that drop off and pick up passengers at Harrigan Centennial Hall. Those permits range in price from $250 to $1,000, depending on the size of the vehicle, and electric vehicles get half off the cost of a permit. The First Amendment up for consideration tonight would further incentivize electric vehicles by eliminating the permit fee entirely. The Second Amendment would increase the permit fee for vehicles with 30 or more passengers from $1,000 to $2,000. The Sitka Assembly meets at 6 p.m. tonight. Raven News will broadcast the meeting live following Alaska News Nightly. Sitka's newly organized Parks and Recreation office is hosting a number of activities to keep kids busy during the holidays, but it's not all open gym and roller skating. Michelle Calrooney is an AmeriCorps volunteer at Blatchley Middle School. This week, she's putting her background in children's theater to use, directing 10 middle schoolers in a unique version of A Midsummer Night's Dream. It's set at Shakespeare High and culminates in a sock hop. KCAW's Catherine Rose recently spoke with her about the
2: production.
3: How long have you been in Sitka? You, you joined AmeriCorps. Does that mean you arrived back in August or when did you get here?
2: Exactly right. We arrived in August and we're living in a camper because we have three dogs and my husband is also here and we're both serving with AmeriCorps. So uh, here we are. Yeah. Can you talk
3: about, you know, how you got into theater to begin with? You know, where did you get started and, and, and how did that evolve in your life?
2: Uh, Basically because of adults in my life, in my community, Akron, Ohio, who believed in getting children involved in theater. I got a lot of experience in community theater, found I loved it, and then decided, well, I better go to New York. And I auditioned for the American Academy of Dramatic Arts and got in and went there. And after graduating from the American Academy, I was looking for work. I wanted to work in whatever arena no matter how big how small so I did outdoor drama and dinner theater and things but then I found I I kind of found my niche in children's theater it's called theater for young audiences and basically it's bus and truck and you tour all around and then from there I went to chamber theater of Boston and they do adaptations of the classics for high school audiences and there I met my husband and then we moved out to Chicago and my husband's life took a different direction. He got his master's from Notre Dame and I continued doing children's theater, uh, directing, but then realized, well, you know what, this is good, but it's only going to go so far. So I went back to school and got my bachelor's and my master's in teaching and then always found a way to use theater in the classroom.
3: And, and theater as a tool in the classroom. What does it kind of bring... the table for for the kids like like why is it an important tool for for just a classroom in general
2: I feel like the ability to gauge your audience as a teacher is super important as all teachers would agree knowing when to pivot when to introduce new subject matter when to be entertaining when to uh, put on your very mean face (laughs) a lot of acting goes on in teaching and then theater itself as a tool I feel like teaches empathy, and really teaches students self-awareness, awareness of others, response to situations. Um, in real life, in the real world, uh, in terms of the theater techniques, speaking in front of an audience is one of the greatest fears. It's one of the close, I think it might be the number one phobia that adults have. Mm-hmm. And if you can learn at a young age to communicate effectively, to a wide range of peoples, wide range of audiences, it's such an incredible tool to have, bringing into your adult self.
3: In this case, in this production, can you go through a little bit of like what it looks like? What are the what are the rehearsals look like, and and what's the final final piece gonna gonna look like?
2: We are doing a rapid retelling of *Midsummer Night's Dream*, and. I think it's going to be really fun. The kids so far, we we just finished our fourth rehearsal today. We've got it blocked. Well, we've got it cast. We've got it blocked. They're memorizing their line. And I think it's going to be super fun. It's set in the 1950s, so it's set in a high school. And we've cut out, obviously, a lot of the characters and a lot of the, the dialogue. I think it's going to last about nine minutes. So, But it tells the story from beginning to end, and the kids are doing tremendously well.
3: How many kids are in the production? Ten. Ten. And I don't think I've ever seen anything like this. Nine minutes um, for the play that probably, I don't know how long, Midsummer Night's Dream is. What is it? Three or four acts, right? Yeah.
2: It's quite lengthy. Yeah.
3: <laughs> and they each have one line?
2: Yeah. It, it's, it was an adaptation I found years ago and I used in my middle school at, to encourage them to do Shakespeare. And essentially, mm-hmm. uh, this person had adapted it down to a 20-minute version, so you had every character had just one or two key lines, and then you worked more on characterization. Knowledge of Shakespeare was less intimidating because instead of a soliloquy, they're memorizing one line, and you could really work effectively on Shakespearean speech, cadence, whatever. I've said it in a... Shakespeare High School, so the teens are in love. And the fairies, Oberon and Titania, are the assistant principal and the vice principal who are feuding, and Puck is the secretary. So it's pretty goofy, and the narrators step in a lot and say, oh, did we tell you that the people who work here are fairies? Uh, And the kids are normal. They're mortal. And again, I, I hate to diminish it by saying cute or sweet. They're doing a darn good job for, you know, like four days.
0: That was AmeriCorps
2: volunteer Michelle Calrooney
0: speaking with KCAW's Catherine Rose. You can see a rapid retelling of A Midsummer Night's Dream at Blatchley Middle School this Friday, December 30th at 10 a.m. The housing crunch during the legislative session in Juneau could be improving soon. A House-Senate committee of the Alaska legislature last week approved spending almost $7 million to renovate a downtown Juneau office building into 33 apartments for legislators and staff. As reported in the Alaska Beacon, during deliberation of the issue, lawmakers agreed that the state-owned building will help alleviate a chronic shortage of housing in the capital city. Sitka Senator Bert Stedman told the committee that housing was one of the biggest challenges of the legislative session. He said, I think this is the right move. The $7 million price tag is being subsidized with $2 million from the Juneau Community Foundation, one of whose goals is to keep the capital in Juneau. The former office building is known locally as the Assembly Building, originally constructed as an apartment complex in 1932, the assembly building was converted into offices in the 1980s. Renovations are expected to take a minimum of one year with a tentative completion date in January 2024. It isn't yet clear how the building will be managed, who will be allowed to rent space or whether legislators will forgo their per diem expense payments if they have a state-owned apartment. In 2022, legislators were eligible for $307 per legislative day to cover food, housing, and other expenses during the legislative session. Those payments came on top of their annual salary of $50,400. The 9-2 vote by the Legislative Council to move ahead with the apartment plan passed with Republicans, Democrats, and Independents voting. in support. Opponents of the plan didn't like the idea of the state becoming a landlord for legislators. I'm Brooke Schaefer and this has been Raven News.